Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast with your hosts, Nate and Micah. What's going on, my friend? I'm in a bad mood. I, I, uh, I smite you, okay? You smote? You smote? I smoted you. <laughs> you smote? <laughs> what movie is that off of? All I know is, uh, is it Liar Liar where he's like, smite me, almighty he's smiter. smiter. <laughs> I think it's Liar Liar. Something I don't know. Like that. I can't remember, man. I'm I'm pissed off at you is all I know. You know, I don't regret nothing. Don't regret it at all. Why don't you tell our listeners so, what you did to me today? Uh, so Nathan's got this bad way of communicating. It's called it, it's called quick communication. That's all it is. It's called being an asshole. No. It's called I have two seconds to send a message and I did it. It but was four letters. Here's the deal. It was four letters. It was or sec- four words. It was like me. the second day in a row. That's true. Second day in a row. Second so day in a row. So you're getting bossy at this point. And hey, you're not my boss. You're not my daddy. Oh, I so, am your daddy. <laughs> so anyways, just Apo- to let you guys hey, in. Hey, apologize. No, never. On the way. No, even bef- no, it was on the way, I believe. On the way, Nathan, I'm on the way to his house. He's at practice. So he's in town. No, I'm not in town. I'm in Oak Grove. Pretty sure they got gas stations around there too. But anyways, he says, "Dr. Pepper, no ice, please, please and thank, thank you. you." I said, "Please and thank you," and I say, "F you, no." Okay, so and that, so I'm like, "He's not. That's cool. He's not doing it." Then he's being a little bitch about it. Yeah, he's not getting me one. Then you buy me a Dr. Pepper. So no, 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 no. You're missing. You're missing some stuff. And I said, "F you, no." And you're like, you'll do it. <laughs> I forgot about that. You I said, that. you'll do it. I'm like, oh, will I now? I meant, I meant you'll do it. Like, I know you'll do it. Like, I, I didn't mean you, you'll yeah. do it. Yeah, I know you're a little bitch, and I know you're going to do it, so just do it. Okay? Yeah, so like, why That's what mess I took, with me? That's why I took it. So what I did. And you did do it, by the way. Oh, I did. I did. I did. So I proceeded. I stopped at the gas station. The kids were with me. They're playing upstairs with their cousins right now. Uh, I stopped the gas station, got everybody a drink. I got Nathan a Dr. Pepper, and then I took a video of me taking a sip of it and then pouring it out on the ground, and then I proceeded to send that to him. So you out spent, of smite. You spent two dollars. Yep. Just to pour it out. Yep. I thought it was great. I got a lot of enjoyment out of it. It pleased me. <laughs> you wasted two dollars. <laughs> To dump a Dr. Pepper out just to piss me off. Just to piss you and off. And it worked because I got home and I was pissed. <laughs> yeah, you were. Well, quit bossing me around, dude. I was like, my wife is watching your kids. All you had to do is buy me a Dr. Pepper. Okay, first off, they watch themselves. All right. Oh, do they? They're playing with their cousins. Is that why you had to walk up there in the middle of the show? 
I did have to walk over there. Hey, shut up, okay? <laughs> Bennett looked at me like, dude, you can't our, talk to me like that. Our, our studio is awesome, but there's one negative to it. It's uh, My basement is open to the upstairs, I guess you'd call right, it. Right, yeah, there's no... So you can hear stuff. Yeah, so if they get a little rowdy, you can. it yeah. picks up on it. Anyways, so I'm in a bad mood because I haven't had Dr. Pepper tonight. Only water, you dick. Which you said you were going to quit drinking pop anyway. So yeah, I, I say that every freaking day. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you have an addiction problem, and I'm helping you out. You drink beer. I drink Dr. Pepper. I didn't even drink a beer today. Oh, congrats. It's not a big deal. I don't have to drink beer. <laughs> I want to. I'm not Andy, okay? <laughs> What's that have to mean? I don't know. <laughs> He's not a big, huge drinker either. But Let's talk about our show today. Yeah, so I'm tired of talking to you. Today on the show, we have uh, Gabe from River's Edge Tree Stands. So he comes on, and we're not talking about, we do talk about tree stands, but we the main topic is we're talking about where to put them, like what you need to think about pre-season, during season, late season, late season. that sort of thing, and we kind of go over all that. It's a really good show, a lot of information in there. I'm hoping it gets you guys and gals thinking, I mean, we're a month and a half away from the season. So we're hoping it gets you thinking about, Hey, maybe I should rethink this location. Yeah, wh- where am I? Where do you what wanna... am I hanging this stand for? Right. And it, not just because it's a good tree. Yeah. You know? And actually, if you go back to a show we had with Tony Peterson six months ago or so, he kind of talks about like early season. He's, he's more on, uh, on field edges. You're right. You know, if you're wanting to get a doe down early season or trying to get some movement, and then he starts moving back, like, you know, getting closer into those bedding areas, closer in on top of them. I mean, you can kind of use those same strategies when you're thinking about where you're putting permanent, quote-unquote, stands. Right. Those stands that might stay there all year, might not. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of guys running gun. We do it uh, from time to time, not as much as we used to. A lot of time my running gun and now consists of me on the ground. Right. Uh just because I really don't like hanging a stand in the dark yet. <laughs> Dude, it's no fun. It really ain't. And every time I do it in the dark, I end up like... You're so loud. Well, two times now in a row, I have said, hey, I'm going to go back here. I'm going to find a tree. And so I, I did it. I found a tree. And I climbed. And then I got to where I was like, all right, I'm good. And then the sun came out. And then I'm like, I'm like nine feet up. And I can't see anything. <laughs> There's no shooting lanes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's all this stuff in my way. This is bullshit. So, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a good show with Gabe. Gabe uh, <clears throat> is a hell of a, a hunter, and and he's uh, the brand one of the brand managers for uh, Rivers Edge. So we've known him since we started working with them. Yep. So and he's put a lot of good deer down. If you guys actually go and follow him, I can't remember what his YouTube channel is, but he actually put some videos out of some self film hunts, and he has killed some dandies for sure. Some tanks, as you yeah. say. Yeah, absolutely. Let's knock out some sponsors before we uh, get into today's show. Okay. We've got Huntworth Gear, man. Uh, it's about that time. Get your stuff bought, um, whether it's Huntworth or not. We like Huntworth, so we say use them. Um, you know, it's time. By the time this comes out, we're yeah. going to be staring down the barrel of the season. Yep, yep. So be thinking about what your early season setup's looking like and, you know, get get what you need to get now so you don't have to – Run out opening morning. Yep. Check them out, huntworthgear.com. Use the code MWW15 for 15% off. Yep. Black Ovis, if if you haven't, 
you probably should get on there. If you need arrows right now, you are already behind the eight ball. You should have already been sh shooting your bow. But if you need arrows, get on there. I highly suggest using their arrow ID. Uh, super easy, super convenient. Uh, they also even offer a deal where if you need it ASAP, like let's say you got a... That stands for as soon as possible. Did I need to preface that? Yeah, I just wanted to make sure I did educate our listeners what that means. Are you assuming that our listeners don't know what ASAP means? There might have been one of them. <laughs> might have been one. <laughs> Anyways, they have it. It's like you don't know what please and thank you means. Anyways, <laughs> they have a deal. You can pay extra if you want to hurt, like hurry your order up. Like you can pay a little bit more, and I forget what the price was on it, but if you need them like as soon as possible, you can pay a few extra bucks, and it'll move you to the front of the line to get your arrows done. And I think you can get them done in like two to three days. So pretty quick turnaround. So ASAP. Yeah. Use the code MWW10 for 10% off. Yep. Black Ovis as well. Camo Fire. Should I get on there? I don't know why. Because I want to. You're just going to mess it up. I'm in the mood not to do what you tell me to do tonight, you dick. Oh, now you know how I feel. Well, they already got some stuff sold out today. Oh, snap. Already going. Um, Got some pillows. Pillow, jet boil. Jet boil. Headlamp. Ooh, that reminds me. I need to get a headlamp. Ooh, those are pencils. Those are good ones, too, man. Yeah. 25% off. Some good stuff. Some sleeping bags. Yeah, browning sleeping bags. Some Alps stuff. Love our looks like looks like uh, just some camping slash outdoor stuff. Some cots. Perfect. Some cool stuff on there today. I know none of this stuff will be there when you guys listening to it, but it'll come back around. Yeah. Just so you know, right now it's pretty cool. <laughs> Shit. Just so you know, as we sit here. But whenever you pull it up, something something good on there will be. Something on there will be good. Did yep. you hear that? What? I like totally F that up. Like tongue twister didn't make any sense. Yeah. You had Tourette's of the tongue. Yes, exactly. It's all right. All right. Speaking of Alps out the outdoors, uh, Alps outdoors, love them. Uh, we're going to be putting their packs Couldn't to use. Couldn't say enough good things about these guys. <sighs> I'm going to just blow through this so that I can leave. I'm just done with you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so done. And I got to spend all day with you tomorrow. So, Alps outdoors. One of us is falling out of a tree tomorrow. I should just knock on wood. <laughs> We're going to be using their packs coming up, and we're going to – actually, I use a lot. I have a lot of Alps gear. Like, I didn't realize I got a bunch of dry bags. I use their sleeping bag. I use their cot. I have two of their packs. Man, the, I got a lot of their stuff. It's awesome. It's good stuff, and it's it's affordable in the first place. Right. And then, by the way, they have come through for our listeners. The yeah. code WOODSWATER spelled out 30% off. That's huge. I actually have not seen a code for 30% off. I've never seen a code bigger than 20. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously a lot of hunting shows or podcasts like ours have yeah, codes. have these, but I have not ever seen 30. Right. So, freaking good job, guys. Yep. Love our love our relationship with Alps. Yep, good people over there. So, Zamberland Boots, you just picked up some new ones, did you not? I you got, were like, I got them in the mail you're yesterday. You were like, dang it, I, I got to try these ones. And I'll, I'll tell you what, Zamberland, their stuff is top end. And then the people that run that company are also top end. Our our contact Super there, nice. I probably shouldn't keep calling her out, but <laughs> Kate, our contact there is awesome. I got my Crestas. First off, I'm going to love them. They are light. 
Yeah. Lightweight. Yeah. It's really light. And uh, I was talking, actually talking around the phone today. Uh, I need to make sure I tell Andy she said congratulations to him oh, for on their the baby. baby. Yep. But uh, I was talking to her and, and I'm like, yeah, they're, they're a little different footprint than the, the links I've got. And she's like, well, do you want me to send you the size 10 just to make sure that, you know, that this is the size you want? I'm like, well, no, I mean, I, you know, I bought these and I don't want you to, she's like, oh, I'll do it. It's, I want you to make sure you're, you're happy. I'm like, I mean, sure. <laughs> you know, and that, that's just awesome that, I mean, obviously that's, they're probably not doing that for like everybody. We have a relationship with Zamberland and they're a partner of ours, but it's just, you know, the people that work there are top notch and, uh, the boots speak for themselves, honestly. See, war, war mine today. Love Al- them. Almost too many options, man. Like, they have so many awesome options. I want them all. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to pick through. So, but, and if you guys have any questions about that, don't be afraid to at, call them or email them no, or like, ask them. Exactly. Like, if you're looking for something specific, they're going to point you in the right way because they know more about boots than you ever will. And so you might want to talk to an expert. If you're going to drop money on a nice pair of boots and you can't quite decide what you want, I don't know why you wouldn't make that phone call. Right. Or at least an email, something. Yeah. So check them out, ZamberlandUSA.com. And then Habitat Works. Uh, we actually talk about Dustin on the show a little bit. Yeah. Um, he, he comes up a lot because he's just really good at what he does. If you are thinking about getting some Habitat work done, whether that's timber stand improvement, prescribed fire, just mapping and planning, that guy can look at a map. And actually, Gabe says it in the show, and we actually yeah. didn't bring it up. I thought about it, and then it fell out of my mind he is he is that guy yeah dustin is that guy he, he can, can look at a map and go this is what this is what i would do yeah this is what is going on or this should be what's going on and he can read a map really really good really good really so impressive. get a hold of dustin man i mean he uh he's a guy we're rooting for uh for sure so 816-752-7390 check him out on his habitat works facebook page or instagram just search that name yeah and habitat works LLC at gmail.com. Yeah. And then finally, um, Gabe uh, Denzine with uh, River's Edge Tree Stands is on with us today. Yeah, Um, so we're not going to get too much into it. But if you guys do want to save yourself uh, 10% on any ladders or hang-ons, where's the code at there? Yeah, use the code Missouri10. So we'll get into the show. And this is the Missouri Woods and Water. Jesus. Okay, with us tonight, we've got Gabe Denzine with River's Edge. Gabe, what's up, man? How are you guys doing? Doing well, man, doing well. Now that we've... I feel ho- like we've already done this once. Yeah, hopefully we figured out all the bugs. We've been having a few def- def- technical difficulties tonight. Yeah. A little so, bit of deja vu. When you live in the sticks, the internet sometimes aggravates you to the point that you want to blow up, blow things up. I mean, it, it is aggravating. So tonight is one of those nights. Yeah. So, oh well, Gabe. Before we get into our topic tonight, which is I'm really interested in, um, excited to listen to what you have to say about a lot of this. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell folks where you are, who you are, where you're from, and um, since you did live in Missouri for two years, why don't you tell them your favorite part about the Missouri outdoors? 
Sure. So I'm Gabe. I'm the brand manager for Rivers Edge Tree Stands, and we're located up in Cumberland, Wisconsin. I grew up uh, 20 years of my life, 21 years of my life in central Wisconsin and decided to take a leap and move down to Missouri when I turned 21, which was two years ago. And I did some firearm sales and stuff down there, and now I'm back up here in Wisconsin. So short-lived down there, but it is by far, honestly, don't tell everybody listening to this, but I do like Missouri a tad more than Wisconsin. And maybe it's the harsh winters up here that suck, but uh, Missouri was so much nicer in the wintertime. Yeah, but now, right now, when it's devil's ass crack hot down here, and you've got mid seventies, you know, yeah, it's a give and take. Kind of a happy, happy medium, you know. If you could have like your your winter house down there or something, and then split the summers up here, are beautiful. Yeah, um, but yeah, the, the hunting down there was awesome. So if you want to know my favorite thing about the outdoors in Missouri, it was the fact that I believe the um, I guess it's not the DNR down there. It's technically conservation, yep. but the conservation has public land areas set aside that are very well managed in my opinion. And like up here in Wisconsin, most public land is county forest or national forest, which is basically big woods hunting, swamps, clear cuts, not a lot of deer. Um, down there though, with the managed public land, you get agriculture that you can hunt river bottoms you get a good vast majority of hardwoods and stuff like that lots of oaks and i saw so many deer down there just hunting public land probably more than i've ever seen in this state really yeah i mean i can't say that i've ever hunted public land anywhere else but i do feel like we are blessed and our conservation they do do a lot of work to the conservation areas that we have to uh, you know upkeep them they keep food on the place. I mean, you'll you'll drive by a bean field in December, and there'll still be beans out there that they leave just for the deer. So I don't think you're going to see that in a lot of other states. Yeah. So we're pretty blessed. And I, I don't want this to get lost. Yeah, in, well. Um, I don't want this to get lost in the fact that our first attempt at recording didn't go right. But Gabe was actually the first person in 116 episodes or whatever, what however many we've had now. Mm-hmm that actually told us what his least favorite thing about Missouri is. He did. And then it got lost. So I want you to tell him again what you said the first time you re- we recorded this. You guys down there have some ungodly creatures, just creepy crawlies. Like besides <laughs> the snakes, there are things that are called seed ticks that I didn't know existed. And the first time that me and a buddy had went and scouted and we walked through like a chest high grass patch, and we came out to the truck and like, I looked at his pants and I'm like, dude, you're moving. And there was just millions of these little yellow microscopic blood sucking parasites crawling over. So we took bug spray and a lighter and tried to like torch his clothes and it didn't work. And then we washed everything and they were still all over. So, yep. Yeah, dude, they're, they're terrible. You got, you guys can keep those. They suck. So I will say though. We don't have those up here. We, I found, um, you said it earlier, I found permethrin just about two months ago for the first time in my life. I will never not buy that ever again. Right. I mean, it's well worth the money. It's, yeah. I'll it's be wearing awesome. my pants tomorrow. Well, it's covered in them. Yep. It's a cheap investment, too. I mean, you get a can of Sawyer's permethrin, permethrin or whatever it is, and you just spray it on your clothes, let them air dry outside for a day, and then you can go out and scout. And, you know, occasionally I still found ticks and stuff, but not those giant blobs of 
nasty yuck. So yeah, yeah, and it's supposed to last for like how quite a few washes and everything. yeah, like three or four washes or six washes or something, and at least like eight yep. weeks or some crap. So yeah, it's good stuff. Well worth it. Now, for you guys being down in Missouri your entire lives, what is your opinion on the mosquito situation? When I lived down there, uh, I was convinced Missouri didn't have mosquitoes. And <laughs> for the very few they had, guys were complaining. They're like, oh, these things are terrible. And if you've never been up to northern Wisconsin or northern Minnesota, like the Boundary Waters, they come in sheets. Like, Missouri is very blessed. You guys have mosquitoes, but they're not even close to the calibers up here. I would say... Uh, how close did you live to the river when you were here? Uh, well, a mile and a half away from Big Muddy. Huh, I'll be damned. Okay. So I, I so, think closer the yeah, closer so you are the to the side. to the big rivers, I think probably they get heavier. But, I mean, like every early season, I'll deal with something flying around me. If I forget my uh, – oh, what the hell that thing's called? Thermocell. Thermocell. If I forget that, I'll have something flying around my face, and I just – you know, swat it away. I probably am doing too much moving in the tree stand at that point, but you know, you got a, you got a lot of, uh, a lot of greenery around you at that time. So I guess you can get away with it a little bit better, but, um, I don't, I don't, I mean, I complain about them, but that's just cause they annoy, they annoy me, but I don't right. deal with like I, yeah, dozens I of them. Yeah. I don't, you're only dealing with maybe two or three at a time. And yeah. Usually you get a few, you get a few swats in them. They usually go away or you can kill them pretty easy. But yeah, they're not a huge, they're not yeah, as I big as that was the case up here. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather, that surprises me. I don't know if I would rather deal with ticks or mosquitoes though. Mosquitoes. I don't know. They kind of bug me. Ticks. I don't yeah, know about them until I see them. Like okay yeah I can pick that off. Are we talking about ticks or sea ticks? But yes, well sea ticks that's just a whole different deal. I've gotten into one of those before and kind of like you, I I was working on my food plot actually and I had some old grass and I was kicking it just to get it out of the way and by the time I went and picked up my kids from my parents I was like why is my egg my leg so itchy and I pulled my pant leg up and yeah I think I had like three hundred on me it was ridiculous. And the worst part is getting sea ticks off. Yeah, especially on your yeah, leg. I don't think you can. No, yeah. like I was debating just shaving my whole leg because I mean I'm I'm a guy. I got hairy legs, and it was a pain <laughs> in the butt to yeah. dig through all that just to get all these little fuckers off of you. It was yeah. bad. I don't but. remember what we did. We were camping. My wife and I got into them. We were on a walk, and we got into sea ticks. And I think we ended up taking like lint rollers and duct tape. Oh, that's a good idea. And then we ended up just sitting outside. Yeah, that's actually a really good idea. Yeah. Well, that helped some, but then I think we ended up just sitting outside and picking ticks off each other the rest of the damn night. It was. Yeah, sounds, yeah I have no idea what you do. You it was romantic. Take, like, I'll be honest with you. Or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. They're they're bad. They're bad for sure. Yeah. But, um, so let's see. It's we're recording today. We're recording this a, a couple weeks early. So let's just say it's basically August. Right. Yep. Season's right around the corner. I know for us. I don't know about. Yeah, when's y'all season kick open? Ours is always. I think it's the third Saturday, if I'm if I'm correct. So it's like this year's on the seventeenth, and I think Missouri's is always like calendar year on the fifteenth. Yeah. Yeah. Wisconsin always falls the third Saturday of September. Third Saturday. Okay. So for both of us, it's right around the corner, right? And you know, August hits, and that's when I really start getting super stoked about it and super excited about season and uh you 
you and I and Micah were talking before we recorded about uh, Mike and I actually both took off work tomorrow uh, on a Thursday to go out and do some some work on stands and getting set up and that sort of stuff. But this is the, like the mag- like almost a magical time sure. of year. It almost feels like Christmas, like December twentieth. You know when you were a kid. Yep. And like just... it was five days before Christmas, and all you could think about every day was. It's happening. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> and, you know, when I was a kid, Christmas was a magical time. Counting of year. down the hours. Yeah. Oh yeah. no, shit! Yeah, it, it was great. Uh, that's how I kind of feel when August hits, before deer season. Is man, it's just like I can. It I can feel it. Like Phil Collins says, I can feel it coming in. The, how's that go? I don't know. I don't know. Won't you finish that up for us real quick? Air tonight. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I just start singing. Screw this podcast. Yeah. I think. Don't quit your day job. Uh, so, yeah, and a lot of people have been doing work most of the summer, but now it's it's a good time to be it, kind of buttoning up and start thinking about how you're going to attack these deer. Uh, and that's what we're going to kind of talk about tonight is, I guess, the, uh, how would you say it, the art of placement, placement and attacking as a result, right? I mean, that makes any sense. That sounded pretty bad. Yeah, you're really just strategizing, you know, your fall. You're looking at what you're doing early season, you know, when deer are still holding summer patterns. And then you're looking at, okay, October comes around when they start transitioning, just making sure you have all these spots accounted for and planned for. Right, exactly. So where do you start? This time of year, what are you thinking about? Uh, I'm honestly late this year. The last two years, I've been living and breathing like, First week in June rolls around, like I'm scouting, walking, doing stuff. Um, this year, honestly, with the workload and stuff I've been doing, it's been a little late. Um, but you're right, August 1st, for some reason, just rings a bell in my head. Like, okay, it's go time. You need to get something done. Right. And typically that starts with me um, glassing, driving a lot, you know, checking out some of the properties I can hunt and driving around, just getting eyes on deer. And then really kind of narrowing it down strategically, like, I kind of go crazy on some of that stuff. Like I pay attention to the weather, moon phase, pressure, all that stuff when I see deer and then document that for like, if I go 10 times in a 14 day span, glassing some of the same spots, just seeing where those deer came out that night or, you know, what wind, what temperature, and just kind of keeping records that way when early season runs around or comes around, I have a plan and I can kind of be like, okay, 70% of the time on this wind and this temperature, this deer came over or this buck came out of this side of the field, you know, that way I can set up my stands and be right in that area. So I kind of strategize more like that for early season. And it's kind of odd because you do all this work in July and August. And most people, when they set this stuff up, they're only thinking about that first week or two of season. They kind of disregard all that mid-season scouting and late-season scouting they did the year before yeah so do you keep quite a bit of a uh, uh i don't know what you call it data sheet log book like uh, a, a log book yeah 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 i keep, I guess i keep it on my on my notes and my phone is kind of what i put together and just yeah it really does it really does by. help paint a picture doesn't it like uh i started doing that was it last season? Maybe the season before, but very recently, I always have just used my memory based on like encounter with bucks or trail cam pictures, right? All those different things. I would just, mm-hmm. I would just use my memory and 
I don't think it was very good because I had two deer I was really after last year on one particular property. And every time there was ever anything that happened between myself and that deer, whether it was a trail cam picture or I saw them on the hoof, I would, I would record the date, the time, which direction they were traveling. And a few times I actually recorded the weather, which I'm going to definitely do better this year on that. And it, it, it really made me feel like you got to know, almost like you got to know that deer better. Mm-hmm. Like you could almost see what it was thinking um, when you recorded those things. So is that something you do quite a bit when you're seeing the deer, when you're glassing, or I'm, I'm guessing you run trail cams too, I don't know, but um, do you keep a pretty detailed well, book or what do you... The last couple of years when I was... It's probably not as detailed as I if, as I made it seem. Like I'm not too intense. Like you know, sitting there typing, studying, looking all you know all this crazy stuff. But I do just on certain spots for the most part that I know I have the ability to do that style of glassing and paying attention to those deer. I've kept pretty extensive records, and I think the first year in Missouri, one of the local spots that we hunted, and for some reason that state is just backwards to me, and maybe it was the area. Like, typically, I grew up hunting Wisconsin, and if you get a west wind and, you know, uh, a high-pressure front moving in, there's always awesome deer movement. And where I was at around Como, um, it seems whenever it was super hot in the summertime and I had an east wind, there was deer everywhere, and it didn't make sense to me. So I basically tossed everything that I had learned about deer hunting, for the most part, in the trash and started over when I lived in Missouri. And that's, I think, why I was more invested, because it was a new area, different deer. They're used to different predominant winds out of different directions. And I had to relearn all that stuff. So, yeah, I, but I'd last 20 days in a row out of 30 days and just paid attention writing down, okay, these deer are over here this week. And then all of a sudden, you know, some of the beans would start getting mowed down when he walked out there. You could see they were eating the tops. And then the next week they'd move over another 50 yards where they'd come out and just kind of paying attention and like forecasting, okay, are they going to come out in the same spot? Are they going to keep moving down the line? And as the days went on, it would always just keep moving down the line, get to the fresh, fresh crops and just was very interesting to me. And it honestly helped out with semi early season success. Both years I was tagged out uh, early October, the last two years down there. That's definitely so I would say that my research and stuff. I mean, you obviously did a good job. Successful. You know, if you're tagging out the both years that you lived down here, you you caught on to something for sure. Oh, and if you're tagging out before before November, before before to late November, those deer are doing no rutting activity yet. That's that's all just yeah, and that that was that was new to me as well. The season change between the 500 miles where I'm at right now to where I was. Like third week in, in, in September up here, you don't know if your beans that you've watched these deer all summer on are even going to be green. Half the time when opening weekend rolls around, the beans are getting cut. They're all, you know, brown, crunchy, or just turning, you know, from yellow to brown. And you're basically back to ground zero. Down in Missouri, those beans stayed green, honestly, until like the first week of October or so, which yeah. was really interesting interesting to me and it kept deer on their summer patterns as long as they weren't crazy pressured by other hunters um you know that way it's like okay it justified me being out here for two months straight july and august you know watching and paying attention to these things 
versus up here you do all that work you're like all right starting from scratch as soon as season starts but yeah at that point it's almost it's like why am i wasting my time if i know that they're going to change as soon as the season starts so the only the only huge benefit that i get out of it is i live by a rule of you know guys get into debates about shooting this size deer that size deer glassing really helps you determine an area like you cannot hunt what's not there so even if those deer are not coming out in the same spot because the crops got cut or something browned up you already know what kind of caliber are in that area so it lets you know whether or not you know you even want to hunt it no that's yeah, a good that's point. true that's 100 percent true see i don't think i've no, it's, ever it's, yeah i think maybe last year last year i went out a handful of times to my property i have uh the farmer there he has alfalfa and i went out a handful of times and did a little bit of you know glassing but i never never laid my eyes on any bucks it was always doe you know a handful of doe and stuff uh most of my intel was always from my camera uh telling back me, in the timber yeah back in the timber i'm assuming that you know the bucks they just didn't come out till after dark because uh, i know they're hitting that alfalfa but uh well and i think because your area is pretty pressured as far as human interaction yeah like there's a lot of humans there's a lot there. of traffic there's a lot of guys that you know ride side by sides in their timber and you know it's pretty close to a road you know there's public ground within an earshot uh so there's a lot of a lot of activity so i, I assume most of the deer you know most of the mature bucks they're probably going to stay hidden until dark before they come out and want to feed yeah yep okay so let's uh, parlay that into how you decide what, where you're going to put a stand or, or I guess stands, but it just depends on, I guess it depends on where you're hunting. Right. I mean, cause this, this, this discussion is not going to fit every person that's listening to it. Right. So you got some people who are strictly public land hunters who may be able to leave stands um, some states might not allow it. Missouri does. You do as long as you have your information you on it. the stand, yeah. and I believe you have to you have to definitely remove it at the end of the season. Sure. So, you know, there's those guys that might be only public land. There might be guys, you know, like myself that I hunt a pretty small, a pretty small piece of private. Uh, so I've, you know, kind of got, I guess you'd call it free reign. I can do what I want there for the most part, right? So there's there's people with different situations, but what are some of the first things you do when you're deciding, hey, what am I going to do? Where am I going to put these stands? And uh, we'll just kind of go from there. Well, after your summer scouting and kind of, you know, glassing is done and you're ready to put boots on the ground and start walking a bunch of these places, you can very well tell just by deer sign. I mean, if you see runways and or you're walking like we talked about on a bean field and you notice that the tops of these beans are absolutely just demolished and mowed down by deer, um, you can kind of get into a situation where you're like, okay, you already know that if you're hunting on a bean field, odds are you're not going to be hunting this bean field come end of October unless it was on like a good a good funnel pinch point um creek bottom something like that where when deer are running they will i guess follow or send check versus early season you know you have that 2 to 3 week window 
where, okay, I'm going to have this set and just hunt maybe one or two spots similar to this during the early season. So when you talk about hanging a tree stand or something like that, um, honestly, it's basically up to your discretion on how hard you want to go with that stuff. There's guys, I know, especially if you're a public land hunter, that when you're super mobile, it does give you some advantages on a bean field like that, where I talked about up here, early season, say you set up a stand on a bean field two weeks prior, and then opening day comes, and you're like, all right, I'm heading to this stand. And you get out there, and it so happens that your stand is now sitting over one, either cut beans or beans that are brown and the deer are no longer there. So being a little mobile on that side could probably help you out. But I know like our Bigfoots, as far as hang-ons, um, that's, I guess all of our hang hang-ons are from the Bigfoot collection. We have small stands like the Traveler, the Lightfoot for guys in that situation, um, where if you hang a stand and you don't want to dink around with, I think some of the stands that you guys got from us, once you put them up in a tree, they're big, they're comfortable, but you probably don't want to, you know, keep setting them up and down just because they're heavy and they're kind of bulky. Right. But some of our products like the Traveler and the Lightfoot, when you want to be mobile on a select area and, okay, I hung this stand, I got a Traveler in the tree, sit in it the first two days of season, deer start coming out somewhere else. Instead of sitting in that stand and praying for that deer to hopefully walk by you, that is a super simple set that you can quickly pull down even like before you go out to the woods. If you're going to go hunt, just get there an hour early, pull that stand, quickly move it over to the next spot, find a runway, pay attention to where they're eating in the beans now and go reset that. And it's just a, a super simple thing that I don't know if a lot of guys adapt to versus there's some guys I know that I talk to all the time, like, Oh, it doesn't matter if the beans are gone. It doesn't matter if there's no deer tracks here. This is the spot. Like, get out of that mindset. Just go where the deer are. No, I think uh, you're you're definitely right. A lot of hunters, I mean, they got that stand that their grandpa put up or in that one area that they've been hitting for, you know, 20 years, and they've always seen deer, but some years they and they might have killed a big one out of there one time or something. But for the majority, you're right. You kind of have to adapt. Even like, like, like Nathan, me as well, we are privileged in the fact that we have private access to, uh, to some pieces that we can put as many stands as we want on them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you need to, if you are a public hunter, you kind of need to be in the mindset, yes, you might have found a good spot for a day or two, but you need to be able to move quickly to adapt to the situation that you know they could be moving 50 yards away you could be seeing them every time you sit in that stand but you need to get off your keister and you need to move that stand 30 yards closer to get a shot so we, well and especially when you're bow hunting and your range is so limited you know whether you're a white tail hunter that believes in only shooting 30 yards or less or maybe you're a white tail hunter that's okay shooting 60 yards I mean, you're not using a rifle early season like that, so you have to be right where they come out. And then also in a spot where if you're religious about the wind, thermal, stuff like that, like that's all stuff you should think about when placing a set. Yep. And a permanent stands, we'll call them, while they might have been a good stand, like even let's say two, three years, 
it, it could dry up. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I think deer do get educated to where you are. And, you know, if you got a, a young buck, let's say he's two and a half years old one year, and he notices you for the first time in that stand, then when he's three and a half, he notices you there. And then when you're after him, when he's four and a half, he just stays a, he takes a different pattern or a different way. Stays just out, out of. Outside. And yeah. then by the time he's five and a half, he stays totally away from that general area because he knows you're going to be there. Um, yeah, you basically condition your deer year after year when you consistently hunt the same spots like that. So, you know, if you're, if you're blessed or, you know, lucky enough to have some property with some acreage, I just, that's where I think a lot of the recon comes into is just making sure that you have multiple different spots for multiple different scenarios. And that's, maybe that's the time of year. Maybe that's the wind direction. Maybe, you know, that's, that's even rut locations. Like that's where I will kind of contradict what we had just talked about, about, you know, moving that stand. Cause sometimes especially during that November season, if you were to, you know, have a collar or a tracker on say a two and a half year old buck and he wasn't hunted, or even if he was hunted, he didn't get shot and you were able to track him for three years, the odds are, and it's not all the time that at some point during the rut, he will always cross a familiar path. They just seem to have an area that they like to run. Um, And that's why guys, when they talk about having, you know, this stand is money, this spot is money those spots do exist just typically they're not early season yeah i mean that makes a lot of sense because and i guess you because and it's not during once you get time into the late season which we're not really covering when you get into the late season you mainly want to be hunting your doe because you know your bucks are going to show up you know, you get yep. what I'm saying? Food, food sources and then, you know, leftover does. Right, right. You know, you find your food. The does are going to be around the food more than likely. And then your bucks are going to be scent checking those areas. Coming, Yeah, checking those does that are coming in late. Yeah, coming in late or, you know, towards the rut. But, I mean, talking early season, you don't really need to focus on the doe because the buck's going to be doing something different anyways. Yeah, they're not worried about them. I right. Mean, you know, pre-rut activity, when you start seeing that, obviously they'll start caring. Um, and then the rut, all hell breaks loose as we all, all aware. And it's great and also horrible at the same time for some people. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of emotions during the rut and, uh, I think people sleep. I I think you're certainly right, Mike. I think, I think people do sleep on late season or, you know, post rut activity. Well, the rut's over. My chance of killing him is gone now. Well, that they've just been shot at for the last exactly right but i also think and especially in this our state you get that 10 days of rifle season and you're right all actual hell breaks loose on those deer oh yeah but as soon as rifle season's over a lot of hunters leave the woods and don't come back and those bucks are still going to check for those does coming in you know their second heat the ones that didn't get bred the first time whatever and don't don't take yourself out of the game because you didn't get it killed during you know the rut quote unquote uh, or whatnot because you know people are not in the woods near as much as they were early to mid November you know late November early December well a lot people of people start dipping out they dip it a because we got a lot of rifle hunters that's all they do which is fine um, but uh, I think a lot of people get burnt out by that time. It's a lot colder. It's a lot harder to stand in the 
be in the stand for you know long periods of time. But I think you just got your ass kicked for two straight. Yeah, months. you got your ass kicked for two months. Yeah. You know, you you saw the deer seven times, but you could never make it happen for whatever reason. And then he hasn't shown up for you know a month or whatever the case may be. Um, I think you're really selling yourself short if you don't get out there in the late season because they're probably pretty. I don't know if I want to say easy to pattern at that point, but they get more in a routine. Like once that second rut hits after that, then you're going to get into, they're going to be packing on pounds. Yeah. They they're they're, they're going to be wanting to eat. So they're going to be hitting the food hard at that point. And Missouri's a little different too. Like I would imagine, I don't want to run numbers on this, but I'd have to assume that maybe there'd be more late season hunters just because of the way your archery tag works. Like if you were strictly an archery hunter in the state of Missouri, you get one buck before rifle season. And then you do get a second buck after the rifle season, as long as you didn't shoot one with a rifle. Correct. Yep. Correct. So that means, and I didn't rifle hunt the, the entire two years I was down there. And that's just already in my head. Like I knew, you know, I can't, for lack of better terms, I can't dick the dog and not plan for late season because I do have a tag coming up. And if I only have that you have from, what is it, like the last week in November or something until January 15th mm, to yeah. Yeah. whatever it is there, like a month, you know, you have a month to figure out deer where they're at after all this rifle pressure and then try and be effective in that short amount of time. So that's honestly a thought process a lot of Missouri hunters should have is prepping for that even before the rifle season. Like, okay, all hell is going to break loose. Where am I going to hang a couple sets? Do I have a late season plot that I plan on sitting all day? You know, toss something comfortable up there. Or am I just going to sit and maybe do some more glassing again and check out standing cornfields or stuff like that and just do a lot of recon maybe that first week of December because you have – there's, there's another tag. If you don't want to fill it, don't fill it. But there's a lot of guys that are, especially me, was jacked about the fact that you get two bucks, especially if you didn't shoot one with a rifle. Yep. Oh, yeah. I mean, And, of course, I mean, you got other stuff like uh, alternative method season in there. And there's is there something else in there? You, got, you guys have a holiday doe hunt or something. Yeah. yeah. There, there's a few doe hunts, actually. I'm pretty sure I read something the other day that they're thinking about opening up an, or no, in the CWD counties they're thinking about opening up an early doe season, ah, something like that. Gotcha. But yeah, we do have a doe season. We have black powder method alternative season is what they call it because you can pretty much use anything but a rifle. Um, Debatable. Yeah. Yeah, you can use your AR pistol. Yeah, it's getting really <laughs> close to rifles nowadays. Yeah, they're people are getting really yeah. creative. Yeah, I think. I want to say that that was up for debate there for a while. I don't, was I don't, it? I don't pay attention to it because I never hunt that. If I do hunt it, I'm hunting with a bow. I'm, yeah. I'm with a bow. I am strictly, and I'm. I don't know if I'm selling myself short, but I am bow rifle bow. That's it. You know, I'll, I I get out there. And I'm not afraid to pick up the boomstick at all. But uh, bow hunting is where <laughs> my passion is at. So that's what we mainly do. But yeah, we there there is a lot of opportunity. Uh, to use other methods but yeah what getting back to it probably need to be around some food around that late season time frame yeah 
Let's so are you guys big into planting food plots and stuff like that, like on your own property? Do you manage that kind of stuff? I have recently started to do it more. Like uh, this year, last year I dabbled in it, and I didn't get a very good plot. I just did, grabbed a bag of that throw and grow, threw it out there. Some stuff sprouted up, but it really wasn't that great. Uh, this early spring I was able to get a good stand of clover. So I have a clover plot now. And I also planted um, about 20, 20 to 30 rows of corn that I'm going to leave standing. The the farmer, he gave me a piece of his field that he said I could do whatever I wanted. He ended up having a row, you know, a row planter. He's like, yeah, we can throw some corn. So I put some corn, and so I'm just planning on leaving that all year, all year long for him. So I'm hoping that either brings them in or makes them stay, whatever the case may be. So I'm I'm getting more into it. I, I enjoy it. I really do. Yeah, and I planted one four or five years ago that didn't work, and I haven't done one since. So I want to. I just – that is always the last thing that I focus on is planting food, pot, food plots, and then I never get around to doing it. I I do other stuff like what we're doing tomorrow. I, right. I worry about – I worry about – that and i worry about you know creating a better habitat for them which i'm not saying i'm great at doing but you know i I do quite a bit of mowing throughout the summer um you know trying to give them good travel corridors give them good spots to be and then the food plots always take a back burner and then i don't do them so i haven't done it for about five years but i would like to try one just Gotta get it done. So like, in a, you, you guys are like aspiring land managers, I guess I would say. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's not. I would not call us that. We're <laughs> we, guys with chainsaws. <laughs> yeah, we dabble. We, hey, we, don't, work. we don't know what we're doing. We need to have our buddy Dustin, uh, Dustin out there to really show us what what we need to do for sure. But we dabble, you know. <laughs> what is that? Yeah, is that? I, we dabble. We dabble. I believe I. I listen to the podcast with Justin. He kind of does that land managing stuff, right? Where he walks properties and he'll tell you like how to how to how to cut it, what to plant, like native grass stuff like that. Oh yep. yeah, yeah. He's yeah, a he, he's a land manager. He uh, his degree is in um, forestry and stuff like that, and so no, that's he, what he does for a living. He definitely knows what he's talking about. No, guys like that are really good to talk to, and especially if you're talking hanging tree stand sets or like you know permanent blinds or something like that. Those guys, when they walk the property and then they can get on Onyx or something and just e-scout it, they're very, very well-versed in stand placement and stuff like that. Like, they can look at properties and say, okay, you know, this is your bedding. This is your food source. Odds are the deer are running here this time of year. You know, you need to do such and such to your property. And you can kind of manipulate your property as well to almost, you know, fit where you want to place a tree stand. Like, if you want to cut, you know, paths or plant native grass and, and hang a stand on the edge of that because you know that these deer have cover to and fro um to and from bedding and food source that makes things a lot easier when you're placing permanent sets yeah and and that's kind of what i did with my food plot uh the corn i just threw out at the edge of the field i don't really hunt the edge of the field i hunt in the timber so i i literally have an eighth of an acre of just clover and you know, i i call it my kill plot just because that's where I hang my one of my stands is I have one right there hunting over the clover and then I have a few that I'm assuming the deer are going to walk through on their way to the clover or out into the field itself um so I mean so I've already I've already got some set in hopes that I 
they, I plan on them walking this way. I plan on them stopping there to eat. And then eventually I plan on them coming out here to eat more. Yep. Are you guys super meticulous? Like instead of just, okay, I found a spot. Let's hang a tree stand. You just hang a tree stand. Or do you guys kind of dive into like, okay, this tree stand needs to be facing this tree or it's got to be put in this section because I got backdrop and, you know, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I would say we pr- we are pretty meticulous about, um, like, when we're, when we're deciding, Mike and I usually walk properties together and decide where we're going to put stuff. Um, we'll we'll look, walk through an area and I'll be like, hey, I want to be here. I want to be somewhere right here. I feel like they're coming from this direction on this, these winds, which we haven't even really got into yet, but, you know, you it's it's i try to be able to hunt them any type of wind right i mean that that'd be ideal right no matter what type of wind's coming out if you can hunt a spot that's great not very doable in one of my spots but i've made it more doable anyways okay so i would like a a tree stand in this area then we start picking well that tree's not possible that tree's not possible you're sticking out like a thor's sore thumb and that one this one right here i'd have to be facing to the east and there's no way i would get you know a good draw or they're going to be right on top of me before i can draw so i'd really I'd rather be in this one so i could be facing this direction so i have time to get ready for them or whatever um yeah we do quite a bit of that which is difficult because the perfect tree doesn't exist no <laughs> like everyone not in, not in missouri it doesn't no god dang like they garbage everywhere yeah, yeah man not unless it's a walnut or, or like a cottonwood that's you know 46 inches at the base so yeah. when you're hunting properties <laughs> full of thorny locust and hedge it, it's it, no fun it's harder it is it takes a little bit of a challenge but yeah i think and i would assume you know we're kind of getting along to that this but i want to hunt i'm whenever i'm setting my stand I'm thinking about wind mostly. I want to know if I set this here and I have a south wind, am I going to be able to hunt here? Or if I'm going to have a north wind or whatever the case may be. So that's definitely something people need to think about when they're setting. Just because the tree is right doesn't mean it's the right location, if that makes any sense. Yeah, typically the uh, right location just doesn't have the right tree. That's like 90% of the case. Yeah, yeah. And I would also caution people, um, not that I've just noticed this lately in the last few years. It does not have to be the perfect wind scenario, right? So like if, if you're, if you're going to set a stand and you're like, Hey, I want to have a stand in this area and this is for a Southwest wind. Okay. Well, if you can get away with hunting that on a Northwest wind, and that stand is in the right spot that you can catch that buck or whatever you're after, that buck coming through before he busts you, then it's the perfect freaking spot. But I think people like me, I look at it, well, if it's not a, a good spot for a southwest wind, then I can't hang it here. Actually, a lot of people, you know, kill those big bucks right before they bust them, right? I mean, it's it's – the buck thinks he is in a good situation, which is why he's doing what he's doing. So yep. if it if it's the perfect win for you, you probably won't see his ass because it's not a perfect win for him. So yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, and I, I don't know if a lot of guys actually think that in depth or not. It's well, it's 
I'm still having a hard time thinking of thinking that way. So like if I find a tree and I say, Hey, I think I would like this tree. What type of wind is this tree good for? Ah, it's good for a Southwest wind. All right. That's great. There's no chance I'm going to see the buck I want with that. So what's going to be good for him in this area? Well, him in this area was a North wind would be perfect. Okay. So how can I kill him right here with a North wind? Well, maybe it's that tree right over there. Because then I he won't move. catch me. And it could be a matter of moving 20, 30 yards. You know, it, it's not like you got to make these huge jumps. You just want to skirt the edge. And you want him to skirt the edge sort of thing. Yeah, and collide at the right spot. Exactly. And, and then inevitably he'll do something totally opposite what you think. Yeah, and he'll, yeah, <laughs> but, and he'll, he'll bust you and he'll run to the next county. Your yep. buddy will kill him and make fun of you. Yeah. <laughs> It happens. It happens. It's happened to all of us. Yeah. Yeah. But, all the time. And it's like tomorrow. When, tomorrow when we're going to go do our work, that's like we're going to have those conversations as we're hanging stands. I've got one tree in particular picked out already, but I'm going to ask Micah, what do you think? This is what I've got picked out. Here's my thought. I've got, he's got this path right here. If I can get in from this direction, I think I can get him, right? Blah, blah, blah. But he might look at it and go, dude, you're, you're screwed. Yeah. I don't, I don't like this. And he, you know, he might have some different opinions. So, um, how often now that you're back up home or back in Wisconsin, at least, uh, how often are you bouncing ideas off other people as to where you're thinking of, uh, sitting something? To be honest, I kind of frayed away from that. Just in the last couple of years, I found, I've really busted ass on my own, just kind of picking up things and learning things as I go. And I'm, I don't want to say I kind of keep to myself about things because I'm, I'm pretty much an open book. But I tend not to ask a whole lot of people stuff anymore just because I always get mixed mixed feedback. Like I'll, t- I'll ask one guy this, this question and another guy the same question, and they're giving me two answers that they swear life or death by. Like, absolutely not do not do this. And then the other guy will be like, no, that guy's stupid. You should totally do this. And it's like, you know what? I'm just going to think for myself and pay attention. Like that's, that's half of hunting. I mean, a majority of hunting is you're obviously trying to kill deer, you know, or kill a target buck. But a lot of, a lot of the time, what I really try and focus on is just studying movement. Like even if it's a doe or a spike or just a young buck paying attention to how they act in the woods, where they're coming from, what they're doing, that's, to be a successful hunter, I think that's just one of the only things, if anything, you need to focus on is just body language of the deer and how they act. Oh, I 100% agree with you, man. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that for sure. I But I'm going to kind of – I don't know how to say it. But uh, I like – like me and Nathan, we kind of have the same thought process. Even when it comes to like coyote hunting, we seem to think the same thing a lot of times when it comes to hunting scenarios. So I do like the fact that I can bring him along to one of my spots and be like, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. What are you thinking? Most of the time they kind of go along. Sometimes we have a disagreement, but it's not a big deal. But ultimately it is up to you as an individual to make your own decision. Definitely take advice from people that know something but don't be scared to go out there and try something on your own either like trust yourself yeah well, trust your thought yeah, process that's just gonna make for for more success because just because you spooked a big buck say you know you put in all this time and work this one year uh scouting a spot hanging a tree stand 
and you have some 150 plus inch buck walk out and you spook it and you think it's over you can take that as a loss but there's also a lot to learn from that just so next time when you're in a situation like that you can try and be proactive and just you know make the right decisions ahead of time oh yeah and and like what are you after um so are you after that four and a half year old you know beast or like this this the my son's deer that he killed last year his first deer ever with a bow he was 10 years old i was hunting that week before taking him he killed that deer on a saturday i was hunting that week on thursday and wednesday i believe i think i hunted back-to-back days and i saw two young deer he might have been one of them the one he killed but i saw two young deer both two and a half year old deer type of deer and i saw them i watched them do the exact same thing both of them those nights so i just kind of like kept that in the back of my head right well the day I took him hunting, I wasn't necessarily going after the deer I, I was wanting to kill that night, because if I was, I would not have taken him to the stand I had in that certain location, because I the the wind in that certain situation wasn't good for a nice mature buck, but I remembered sure. seeing those two young deer, a couple days before, do a certain thing, and I said if I can get another two and a half year old to do that exact same thing tonight, my son's going to get to shoot something. And I watched that deer he shot do that exact same thing, walked straight down this trail right to where my son shot him at 20 yards. So I guess – Yeah, that, that's going to be a pretty rewarding thing too. Oh, it was best day of my life, one of the best days of my life. And I guess – so what are you after? What's your end game? Are you, just, are you just trying to kill your first buck? Because if so, figure out the stupid ones. And get something on the ground, man. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> honestly, that's that's a good point that I'd honestly maybe have overlooked. Like, yeah, if you're if you're just after you know something that maybe you want to eat or you just want to get out there and get maybe it's your first buck, maybe you've been at it for a while, you just want something to you know spur up the excitement. Yeah, I don't think you really have to overthink a bunch of stuff that a lot of us you know you're planning on where's this big buck going to go during the rut? All this stuff, when you can go out there, just hang a simple set and go hunt. Yeah. Yeah. And more than likely, just enjoy it out there. If you can, if you see a little bit of sign, you can read, you know, read a map a little bit and just kind of think about it. More than likely, you'll at least see something. Are you, you're pretty close to seeing something, you know, off the distance. Hey, I might need to move a little bit this way, but you're close. Because that's all you really need, man. You just need to be close. And then you can kind of figure it out from there. Agree. Yeah. All right. So um, let's talk about types of stands and how you, you know, approach things with them. So I've actually in the last few years started using uh, ladder stands more because I have two sons that go hunting with me, right? So I've started getting two-man ladder stands so that I can get them up in trees. I prefer not to hunt out of blinds so i like to be in trees so how i take a a 10 and a 7 year old boy with me is i take them in in two man ladder stands or i've got a double hang on situation but there's only certain trees you can do that where you can put a hang on and then one right perpendicular to it so that people can get into it but so do you when you're hanging stands I'm guessing you approach the type of stand it is differently with based on what you're trying to get out of it, right? So, like, ladder stands, in my opinion, are, are better served for your your field edges, um, you know, 
something that's going to stay there for a long time because I'm not running a gun with no damn ladder stand. Right. You know? No. Uh, so how do you, like, if, is there a time, like, when you go hunting, is there a time and a place for ladder stands where you go, hey, I've got a good, uh, I feel like I've got a good likelihood of seeing a deer, so I'm going to put this here because I know I can run out here after work uh, on a Thursday night and, and take a doe if I need to. Um, is that how you normally approach the use of a ladder stand compared to other types? Absolutely. I believe that, and especially now that like I'm with River's Edge and, and figuring out why each product was designed. Obviously, to some guys, a tree stand is a tree stand. It doesn't matter if it has a wooden seat and it's just uncomfortable or if it's, you know, it has an awesome lounger seat, a mesh seat, armrest, stuff like that we have and kind of designed these tree stands for specific reasons. And that really comes into play with the guys strategizing before the season. I know earlier in the podcast, we talked about early season on a bean field. If you want to be mobile and have hassle-free hunting, you can use like a, a lighter, smaller stand, something that's easy to set up, easy to take down stands that when you plan on hunting, you're not sitting all day early season. Most guys are going out there, three to four hours, maybe even two hours before it's dark out, just for a quick sit on a field edge, easy entrance, and then play play your agriculture, play whatever your land provides. If you need to move it, the next time you go hunt, you have a lightweight stand that you can quick take down and pop back up. But there's also stands, like we have uh, one of my favorites, that Rogue XL. It's a bigger platform, so you can actually stand up and almost walk up there. It's a little ridiculous. And it's got a nice flip-up mesh seat. And then we kind of go up from there with more luxurious stuff for guys that want armrest, backrest, stuff like that. And typically, those aren't stands that guys are going to set early season unless you really want to be Gucci in the tree stand and just, you know, <laughs> sit super comfortably. Be Gucci but in I, the tree stand. That's good. There, like there, that. there are guys that like being Gucci in the tree stand. You see it on social media. I'll be honest. I have no freaking clue what either you're talking about right now. You know what Gucci is, right? It's a brand of stuff, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's, it's designer like brand. It's designer, like the, the top end, oh, right. like top end, fancy. Yeah, so a gotcha. pink, pinky out type of person. Is what you're saying? Yeah, kind of. All right. Yeah, kind of. So, <laughs> um, and a lot of these those stands that we have in our Bigfoot lineup, like I said, we have those lightweight stands that you're that you're used for mobile and adapting, or maybe you have a rut stand where you hung one of our Teratuff XL loungers or the Rogue XL that you, when you place that stand, you put that particular stand there because you're already assuming, okay, I'm going in before it's light outside and I'm hunting until A, I shoot a deer or it gets dark outside. So you want to be comfortable, have room to stand up, kind of stretch your legs and then sit comfortably all day. And then we also have other stands where if you want like a quick toss up, I'm a guy where I go out and film my hunts, whether I'm self-filming or I'm filming somebody else or I have somebody filming me. You know, you have that double set tree stand. I think you guys talked about you have done that maybe once or twice. Yeah. So when so when you get up in the tree, you have your stand set. You can quickly bring up one of those lighter, lighter stands like the Lightfoot or the Traveler, toss it up, offset. That way your cameraman has a spot to sit. Um, and then when you talk about ladder stands – a lot of guys, and this is like a mixed a mixed bag here. I talk to a lot of dudes that are like, you know, I strictly only hunt ladder stands. Doesn't matter if I'm compound hunting, if I'm rifle hunting. Like I feel safer. That's always an option, and we do have stands for basically any price point. 
if you're a guy that just wants to have a cheap ladder stand, we have quick toss up and then we go all the way up to like a flagship models, the lockdown, which are, I'll touch on that in a little bit, but those are basically built for bells, whistles, and a huge safety, a uh, huge safety thing that most guys don't address. Which I, I mean, but, we'll get into that too. Cause I'll, be, I'll be honest. I love ladder stands. I really do. If I could just hunt out of ladder stands, I would, I think they're 10 times easier to get in. I enjoy, I enjoy, and I enjoy two man ladder stands. There's more room up there for activities, whatever, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> you know, there's so much room for activities. activities. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do we just become best friends? <laughs> yep. But no, I just, you know, if for whatever reason, I just like the com- comfortability of it and it is, it, it, I would assume it's safer than any other type of stand could be wrong on that. I don't know, but I just feel more Def- comfortable. Definitely up. feel safer. Yeah. You sure. feel safer. I mean, no matter what, this should be, it shouldn't even, we shouldn't have to say it, but any type of ladder, any type of stand you're in, definitely wear a harness, <laughs> you know, wear a harness in whatever stand you're in. We should have said that at the beginning, but here we are now. Well, we'll have an intro. So we'll <laughs> yeah, do that we'll later. We'll say that. But, but yeah. Yeah. I'm, don't forget your, your safety rope, your, your lineman's belt on. So that's something I've been bad at for a while is not using that when climbing up your tree stand. Oh man, it's a lifesaver, especially if you're hanging sticks, like, like, if you're mobile and you have your pack in sticks, same thing. Otherwise, even if you're hanging like our grip sticks, being able to not rely on your hands and being safe up the tree, it's yes. oh, it's game changer. I uh, I don't run and gun near as much as I would like to, just because I've got so many freaking like I've acquired so many stands throughout my life now. Um, like for a long time, I would just buy stands off Facebook when I found a good deal from a dude. And then I would have another stand to go put somewhere. But when I do run and gun, man, it's so nice having that lineman's belt. Cause you know, you get that next, you know, you get up to that next spot and you just, you know, you got both hands to work with. Um, I don't know how you do it one handed, honestly. Like I've probably done it once or twice just with one hand. And I don't even know how I got the damn thing on there because it's so nice. Just, you know, getting that, that lineman's belt where you need it and leaning back and doing your work. Um, but, and then by the time you get up the tree, if you don't have a lineman's belt, you're all fatigued and you're like, oh my gosh, why am I even out here? Right. Just dead. This, this was a bad decision. <laughs> Milk was a bad choice. Yeah. Milk was a bad choice. But, uh, yeah. Um, and then of course you got your hang-ons that, um, you know, a lot of people obviously use. You kind of talked about the tear tough XL loungers, the, the light foots, the travelers, there's all kinds of different sizes and different, uh, I got things available with each one, but the name you you'll probably know, Gabe. Which I have the big time. Is that it? The big uh, I can't even think big of foot. It. The big foot. I have the big foot, and I set that one the other day, dude. You're right. That thing is comfortable as shit. Like I'm gonna have a problem where I'm probably gonna end up falling asleep at some point. And that's why the, you have. And that's, that's why, why you harness. have your harness on. But that thing <laughs> is comfortable. <laughs> it's you guys. No, and that's knocked it out of the park on that one. Well, I, I appreciate that. And that's, like I said, we as a tree stand company, granted, obviously we're in box stores and there's some people kind of look down on that. But the main goal is I want every hunter, no matter, you know, what style they are, if they're super avid, you know, if they're an amateur outfitter or if they're what we call land managers, or if they're that guy that, you know, wears a red flannel, shows up to gun season, smoking cigarettes for three days a year. Like there's a stand for everybody at every price point and at every level so if you want to be comfortable 
have a bunch of those options. Put that into your strategy. Trust me, if you're doing an all-day sit, you don't want to sit in a $40 cheapo hang-on with no seat because you're after eight hours in the tree stand, you're going to be pretty pissed off at yourself. Oh, yeah. Yep, 100%. It sucks. I, I did that back in the early days. and I did a lot of standing, Yeah, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I can't sit for very long. Yeah. But uh, right, well, let's talk about um, oh, what else. I mean, you got anything else? I, I mean, think we there's so many covered, things we could cover. Us. We could anything cover. that you kind of want to touch more on, Gabe? I would talk about, I believe you guys now have those lockdown ladder stands, mm-hmm. which is our flagship ladder stand, which obviously it's on the more pricey side, but there is justifiable reasons for that. And if you want to talk about bells and whistles and an awesome ladder stand, you can get it in a single or a double. Both models come in either 21 feet or 17 feet, depending on what style you want. You can also get, um, well, I guess they all come with an ultimate shooting rail, which most ladder stands, if you've ever hunted out of a cheapo rail, typically they don't move. The other factor is they always have this stupid foam whether it's like an old real tree or whatever camel pattern on there and you leave it out for a season and the squirrels eat it and all that crap. Yep. So <laughs> we kind of went on an anti varmint spree. So the material in that seat or that bench seats, still that tear tough um, material, which is honestly going to probably outlast the stand. Like if you left it sit for 10 years, you'd probably have your stand maybe in subpar condition, but your, your seat would be absolutely okay. It's ridiculous. It's like sitting on a trampoline. That's awesome. Well, it's funny you say that because uh, do you have the lockdown or did Andy use that one? Is Andy using that? I don't think either of us picked that one yet. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember. Maybe I do I have it. He's got it. We're anyway, setting it up. To, we're, we'll we're be setting, setting it up tomorrow. Up tomorrow <laughs> so it's talk. funny you say that because uh, I have a I bought a two man ladder stand from a dude off Facebook a few yeah. years ago, and Micah helped me set that up last year. Last year, or the year before. Last year, and uh, it's an eighteen footer, if I'm not mistaken. It was up there. It's it it's up there, and uh, I won't mention the brand because it's well, it's honestly not their fault, anyways. But <laughs> you know, we set it up like you would like uh, you would set up, I guess, a two man ladder stand. You know, we put the we put the sections together, and we walked it up the tree, and then we brought it out, and one of us, um, one of us walked up the uh, you know up the ladder, and then you're just you're you're sitting there precariously while you're trying to hook that around the ladder, right? And that's honestly a pretty... Clinging on. Yes. Clinging on for dear life while some, you you know, you really have to draw straws for that stuff. And you're like, all right, who's the guinea pig going up the tree stand and everybody yeah. else holds it? And that is a, and that's that like of, a one-minute span of your life that you are straight up screwed if something goes terribly wrong. Uh, yeah, all for a deer, right? All for a deer, yeah. So uh, the lockdown, you know, just explain the 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 huge benefit of that um that new ladder stand that you guys have out that uh is a really cool safety feature so called lockdown specifically because you can lock it down from the ground now as i go through this a lot of guys like you just said the classic and original way to hang a ladder stand two or three guys walk it up to a tree then someone has to climb up the ladder while it's freely floating around the tree, not even ratcheted to the tree yet. And you're now risking your life to go up and, and set the stand. And majority of tree stand accidents 
always occur whether you're ascending up or descending down from the tree stand. So being safe around that aspect was something we thought about when this thing was being designed. So we came up with a technology, we call it our ground level ratcheting technology, where on the base of that ladder, you have two ratchets that are built into the backside. There is a long, super, super long ratchet strap that feeds up up the ladder and through the back side of the tree. And it's kind of hard to explain without a visual. Sure. But basically you have two free ends of that ratchet strap that you will place around the back side of the tree. And at ground level, when you're sitting behind the tree, there's a heavy duty carabiner that we send with it that you will clip both of the ratchet straps together. And then there's a drawstring by the ladder that you pull up. And as you pull on that drawstring, you'll see obviously the carabiner and the ratchet that are attached climb up the back of the tree and then once that's up to your stand height you just kind of shimmy it into the tree and you take those free ends of the ratchet strap and ratchet that into the back side of the ladder and while you're still on the ground you now have a ladder stand that's safe to climb like you don't have to worry about somebody holding the base of the tree stand because it's not connected you literally just connected it from the ground which is a huge safety feature yeah. takes all the hassle out of it so like you know, if you tell you tell your wife, hey, like, you know, if I don't, you know, if I don't call you later, I probably fell out of my ladder. Like, you don't even have to worry about that with this thing. And that's a huge safety feature. Um, obviously, we're a part of TMA, so that kind of helped us design this as well. And so, that, I mean, that's, that's and that's a huge feature because, like, last year I was the dude that drew the draw, the short straw in that situation, right? Well, you're the smallest. I'm the I'm the lighter <laughs> between the two of us, so that made sense. If I caught you, it might hurt a little bit, but if you caught me. <laughs> You die, so <laughs> I wouldn't catch you, bro. <laughs> hey, you okay? <laughs> hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. But you know that pucker factor is gone because you're not up there with a stand that could potentially slide out. You know what I'm saying? So uh, that's it. That I mean, and the inspiration kind of. No, go ahead. I was just I was just gonna say the inspiration from that is like I don't know if you've had ladder stands that they call like a pivoting jaw system where they kind of have those those arms that once it hits the tree, they kind of metal arms will swing out and wrap around the backside of the tree kind of to hold it steady. Like, we really thought about, okay, like, why is that not super effective? Obviously, pivoting jaw systems, they typically only work well with smaller trees versus if you want to go, I don't know what you guys have for trees down there, giant oak trees, you know, that's like two and a half, three feet in diameter. You can still get that freaking lockdown against that tree and not worry about it being too big it's pretty smart. jaw systems also have lots of moving metal parts which if you're a deer hunter you know what moving metal means when you're in the woods <coughs> obviously it's gonna be noisy yep. squeaky squeaky yeah it'll sound like you're back in your college dorm so uh, <laughs> not micah <laughs> i was in your sister's Shut college dorm <laughs> <laughs> So it's like, there's a lot of thought process that kind of goes into designing this stuff. And some people are like, oh, that's cool. And when we take it to these consumer shows, like when I saw you guys at the Iowa Deer Classic, like we were showing off that lockdown. And it's like a light bulb moment when people see how that how that locks into the back of the tree while you're on the ground. They're like, oh, no shit, huh? <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? Yeah. <laughs> Which, honestly, you were bit, actually, when we saw you at the Iowa Deer Classic, you, you had quite a few people around. We should have waited till you guys were, were not crazy busy and had you 
came back and been like, all right, Gabe, show us how to do this yeah. so that we don't screw it up. Um, but yeah. And we're, we're in the, we're in the middle of filming some better videos now that I'm doing a lot of the videography work for river's edge, trying to update some stuff. So like people listening to this podcast might be confused on what I just tried to explain. But when you watch some of the videos we're going to be posting, you're going to look at it and be like, wow, this is an absolute no brainer. You know, especially if there's young people that hunt too. I was hanging tree stands when I was 14, 15 years old. Did you imagine like now, like obviously you have young kids eight, 10 years from now, they're going to go hang them, you know, hang a ladder stand and you want them to, okay, someone's got to climb up. The other one's got to hold the stand. No, that's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Like, don't, safe, don't safety should be a huge priority. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and and then talk about some of your guys' hang-ons and some of the new stuff you got there. I mean, you got quite a, quite a selection and variety with hang-ons, but uh, talk about some of those. Yeah, so I guess River's Edge has been around for a long time, and obviously way before I was probably even a thought. Um, there was a guy named Jay Angstrom that was a local to Cumberland, Wisconsin, that designed this lever action tree stand which all of our bigfoots are lever action stands and if you don't know what lever action is the best way to hang a stand obviously you don't just you know fully assemble just plop it up in a tree tighten the ratchet you flip the seat up you flip the base all the way up to the seat and you obviously you tighten that strap and then pull down on the base of the tree stand and the way we have these designed is that with that angle and that leverage, it just locks into the tree, which is why most companies, when they hang stands, they always show pictures of two straps on the tree stand. If you go on our website, every tree stand pictured is with one strap because you can you can make that stand solid in the tree only using that one strap. Which, for which a guy is, that hates putting straps around trees because I never get them straight, and I always, my OCD doesn't allow me to not let it stay the way it is. So I got to undo it. No, got to flip it, make sure it's straight. I really appreciate that. I like having, you know, one the, strap, the simplicity, <laughs> the of simplicity it. of not having to do it twice. Yeah. And some guys will still put a second rat, rat or, you know, whether it's a ratchet strap or one of our like silent snap hook straps. Right. Um, you know, just, just for their ease of mind, but those straps, I mean, for a rated 300 pounds, there's no issue on those things. Yep. That's awesome. Um, what else? Is there anything else you want to kind of talk about what River's Edge is doing um, that's new that we haven't touched on before we uh, wrap this one up? Yeah, so as far as new products, um, I don't have anything getting dropped this year. I know like we're still in the debate about ATA show, huge deal. We're not having anything new for ATA show. We're kind of just going back and honestly, like, we have really good products and the thing is we're always trying to improve. So that's why every year you see like, or every other year there'll be like an improved version of that model. And that's just feedback that we get from our customers. Like, Hey, can you do this? Um, you know, it would be awesome if you threw this feature in the armrest, stuff like that. And we add to it and kind of change those designs. And before I even got there, like that was one of the first things that I didn't realize about a company is you call some of these big, big companies that are owned obviously by, giant corporations and you end up talking to somebody over in a foreign country as their customer service. Like we have a bunch of people in our customer service in house in Northern Wisconsin 
that are writing down customers' questions. And then we literally take those back to the engineer and R&D team and like, all right, we need to solve this issue or we want to add this. And, you know, it takes time, but we're always listening and trying to improve that stuff. That's awesome. The other thing, the other thing I didn't talk about is we have climbing systems. So whether you're looking just for like a ladder or 20 foot connect and climb is probably one of our better sellers or our grip sticks, which are, you can get a three pack or a 12 pack case. And those are just kind of sticks that you'll, you know, set at the base of the tree, climb up again. You can have space in between them. Kind of like, I guess other companies have their mobile pack and sticks. It's the same thing, but it's a solid steel construction. Yeah. I'm actually going to be using a set of those tomorrow. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're solid. I, yeah, I forgot yeah, about so those. Get, Go ahead. Give those a whirl. And those, those have been around for a while too, but yeah, I actually own. It's interesting. Uh, I actually own like three different sets of those sticks. Um, years before, like we even had this podcast, I found a deal. Um, where was it? At a a farm and home type store, and they had them on like clearance or something, or not even clearance, but on sale. And I found them for like like thirteen dollars a piece or something. And I I'm like, ooh, That's I, a steal. I found it. I found it. So I bought like ten of them. Yeah. <laughs> and uh so i had several sets from back then that i used and then uh got a set of your grip sticks too um the connecting climbs look pretty nice too especially like if you're going to do a, a permanent type of set um you know it's it's a nice easy straight climb and then you can have your your stand offset just off of it you know it makes it pretty quick too i was honestly going to ask you because you had mentioned earlier in this podcast that you know you you've gone and bought some some used tree stands and stuff like that before you go and set those in the woods are you checking to make sure like all the cables and everything is are are good on those stands yeah like if if i've bought actually two of them now i still have the damn things i don't know why but i bought two of them from a dude years ago at this point and yeah. I, I didn't have the heart to like not they're so cheap i'm just like uh screw it but I could tell there was I didn't like them, and then when I got home, I I was messing with the stuff, and like one of them, the metal on on the uh, the bracket that sits on the tree had rusted all the way through on the top, and uh, yeah, that ain't good. Yeah, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm not going to use these things. So yeah, I definitely check them out. But uh, you should do that with your stands every year, no matter how quality they are. By the way, folks, um, check your stuff. Make sure your your bolts are not stripped out and your cables aren't about to fall off and all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, uh, that's a good idea when you're buying a used stand, you need to make sure you check stuff out. Yeah. And I, I wanted to point that out just cause I'm always thinking about safety cause I like to be out in the woods probably more than the next guy, you know, if not the most avid guy out there. And the last thing I want to do is hurt myself or do something dumb where I can't be in the woods. And all right. since I've been working here, I realized that my dad, <laughs> I mean, great guy taught me how to hunt. Uh, safety was never a huge thing that, you know, I grew up with. And now I realize like, okay, yeah, at least every other year, replace your parts, check your stuff every year, make sure your cables are ready to go. Because the last thing you want to do is have a tree stand like, yeah, I bought it at a garage sale, don't know how old it is, and put it up in a tree. And you got this 190 inch deer coming into your plot every day. You're like, all right, today's the day, going to go smoke this thing. Yep. You climb up in your stand, and it's, I don't know if you guys have seen that meme floating around Facebook. It's got Vince McMahon from whatever, and it's like, oh, you hear you hear leaves crunching. You know, your tree starts this way, and then your stand falls out of the tree. Yep. Like, yeah. Yep. You yep. don't, you don't, 
you don't want to be that guy. So check your stuff. Oh, definitely. Stay and safe. I've got firsthand knowledge. I mean, I don't know, Gabe, if you've ever listened to a show where it's come up, but it's come up before. Uh, I fell out of a tree when I was in my first or second year of hunting ever. Uh, I was I was hunting in a stand um, that was somebody else's stand. Uh, I was given permission at this property, and the guy that owned that stand just is like, "Yeah, I've I've I haven't been there for five years. Go ahead, use it if you want." I'm like, "Sure, okay." Well, I was a brand new hunter. I was kind of doing stuff on my own. I had no idea what I was doing, and uh, I climbed up these set of sticks and when i got to the very top stick i guess you'd call it very top step the rope it was a rope that was around the tree um broke and i fell 15 to 20 feet straight back and walked away from it i mean not even a scratch on me and you know i'm sitting there as a luck really lucky guy because it could safety wasn't on my mind i just wanted to go hunting right yeah yeah, I've, I've seen those stories all the time. In fact, when I first moved down to Missouri, I met a girl that actually she's getting pretty popular on TikTok. I think her name's Girl with a Fishing Pole. But she's from over by St. Louis, and she had, like, an awesome testimony. I guess it's not awesome, but, like, a very interesting testimony how her dad is one of the most avid outdoorsmen. He's you know, doesn't miss a year of hunting. He's always trying to get out there as much as he can. And, you know, he fell from a tree stand, and he – fractured his body and he was out for the entire season like it was bad some of those incidents are life or death and it's pretty crazy that just a simple mistake of before you go and set your stand you didn't take the extra five minutes just to check your stuff so it's testimonies like that that really got me thinking about the safety aspects and i just want to remind if there's obviously new hunters or guys looking for info that are listening to this podcast just take the extra couple minutes and check your stuff um and be safe out there because you want to go enjoy it. And take the extra 30 seconds and put on your harness. Yep. And I'll, I'll, harness. I'll plug this. Uh, I'm not endorsing a cer- any product, but as we all know, tree stands come with harnesses, right? They, they do, which yep. is an awesome, aw- awesome thing that tree stand companies are doing because it, it puts a harness in front of you. You know, it is on you to wear it, but it's right there. You, you have no excuse. If I were a new hunter and I'm getting into tree stand hunting and I had to, I had two, you know, I, I only had, you know, $500 budget when it comes to buying extra things. The first thing I would buy would be a nice safety harness. Nice, comfortable. Something comfortable, something that is easy to put on and off and that you're going to actually put on. Um, Not that the ones that come with stands are not usable, but dude. I wouldn't spend a hundred and some, you know, ten dollars or a hundred bucks on a, a decent, nice, you know, different features harness. And when I get out of the truck, I don't have any problem throwing that on in thirty seconds because it's it doesn't. Not big, it doesn't it's not a big me. deal then. Yeah. So if yeah. you're gonna spend money, no, there's a lot. Spend of, money on those. A lot of great aftermarket options. In fact, I know I know you just mentioned it, but honestly, the only tree stand companies that send um, safety harnesses with their product are those tree stand manufacturers that are a part of TMA, which TMA is tree stand manufacturer association. And those companies involved, you know, river's edge is a part of TMA. There's a couple other brands that are as well. That's always the forefront, which is why I've probably preached safety two or three times already in this podcast, because that's, you know, obviously, you know, I want people buying product, right? Well, people aren't going to buy product if they fell out of the tree stand and died. So make sure that you're always being safe, trying to get out there and 
they're not a bad option, the ones that we send. But yes, you're right. There are a lot of awesome aftermarket no, products that are very low key and I used easy one to for years. On. Or I used one for several years before I bought the nice one. But once I bought the nice one, I was like, ah, oh, been missing okay. out. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, the one I have now has like a little bit of a the tether has a a bungee. Mm-hmm. I guess you'd call it like it's got a little. And I can I can lean forward. I don't know if this is a good idea, but I can lean forward and grab grab my straps and just kind of hang there and take a nap. <laughs> probably, <laughs> because, not, probably not the safest thing. Well, no, I'm not hanging off the tree, but I can just kind of like I let it you know get taut, and then it just sits there and it's comfortable because it it has that elasticity, I guess, yeah. in the in the the tether. And I'll just sit there yep. and kind of if I do feel like falling asleep, I'll just take me a nap. But um, Gabe, before we hop off, why don't you tell everybody how they can um, look up River's Edge products and uh, check out what you guys have to offer. Yeah, so we're in a lot of retail stores. Um, our website is huntriversedge.com, and we have every product that we make you can buy on our website. And we also service all of our parts. So even if you have a tree stand from five or six years ago that we don't sell anymore, and I know we just talked about replacing parts and stuff like that we always keep inventory of old product parts that way hey if you need a cable or a seat that went to this other stand that we no longer make we still have those parts so you can keep using those products year after year awesome nice and make sure so, you use the code missouri 10 get yourself 10 percent yep. off any hang on or ladder stand yep shameless plug right. and you get free shipping with that as well so that also helps nice perfect nice well gabe denzine did i say it right this time Yes, you did. Boom. Uh, we appreciate your time coming on with us today, uh, talking about what I what I enjoy as a cool topic, you know, thinking about different ways. Really, in the end, just I would encourage our listeners uh, to, you know, really give some thought about, like, where you're going to place a stand, whether it's going to be permanent for the year or, or you're, you know, you're going to start hunting September 15th, which is like a rite of passage for a lot of folks in our state. Like, that's a day you go hunting no matter what. Um, yep. You know, what, what is your goal? Are you going to try to kill a deer early season? Are you doing that for the rut or are you doing it for, uh, uh, you know, post-rut and late season? Uh, think about those things when you're getting ready to put a stand in a tree so you don't have to do a lot of extra work and move them around. So, uh, anyway, Gabe, we really appreciate your time, and uh, we'll, we'll let you hop off. All right. Hey, guys, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, buddy. That's it, and that's all, folks. Yep. You know what? I'm, I'm tired, and I wonder why. Because I don't have any freaking caffeine. Well, in my body. it is currently. Where's the dang clock on the mat? It's, right there. it's eleven o'clock. Yeah, and you should need. You need to go to bed. I need Anyways. caffeine. But somebody poured out a sixteen. Was it a sixteen ounce? Yeah, Dr. Pepper? big boy. Why? Why would you not just buy a regular can of it? They didn't have a regular can. That's I all they had. Go to McDonald's. Get me a dollar one. I like. Well, I don't know why you want to go spend. If you're gonna, if you were gonna. Pour it out. I had to buy a Mega Million. Oh, my God. I'm throwing my hat in that ring. Okay. You're not going to get a dollar. Oh, you're going to give me a dollar. <laughs> no. If I become a billionaire. You're going to buy me Dr. Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> I'll buy Dr. Pepper out and then pour them all. You'll never have another Dr. Pepper. I'll just start drinking Coke then. Hey, you do you, bro. We you need do. Andy back bad. We do. We miss Andy, first off. Hope he's doing well. Uh, but uh, He needs to sit in between us. Yeah, we 
we kind of get at each other a little bit, don't we? <laughs> it's just too much time together. We need we need a little bit of separation. We have, we've had two nights in a row of a podcast. So yeah, two nights true. in a row, and we're going to spend all day tomorrow together. Ooh, this is going to be sweating. This is going to be. I don't. Rough. I don't think it's going to be as nice tomorrow as we thought it was going to be. I think, I think it's going to be very humid. I think you're right. Uh, as far as the high temperature goes, I think it's only supposed to be 80 now. So, but still, yeah, humid- cool. humidity is going to be like. 90. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. I was at my daughter's softball practice tonight, and it was, uh, you know, good weather. Yeah. I was still sweating because it was humid as shit. Oh, yeah, muggy, man. It was muggy. I was working today, and I haven't sweated as much as I did today. It was crazy. So, So. but thank you, Gabe. Thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, Yeah. Anything else? Nothing. All right. Get the hell out of my house. I plan on it. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 